Welcome, everyone, to another stupendous episode of Podcast of the Fallen. I don't think that's an adjective that Matt used for Deadhouse Gates. I didn't. Stupendous. I like it, though. You're making us sound better than we are, though. I am, but that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, fake it till you make it. This is our first full episode that we're recording in, I think, a month. I was looking at, because I was editing our episode for Memories of Ice Chapters three and four and we recorded that on december 12th or no december 4th we recorded uh chapter seven on like the 20th so we haven't read much malazan in like the last two or three weeks with the holidays and i moved and lots has been happening yep but now we should be back on more of a regular schedule hopefully uh so we're covering chapters 10 through 13 today uh, finishing up book two of Memories of Ice. Yep. I took a a note out of a relief out of the DJ's Epic Quest playbook of podcast skills. And I tried to take a little bit more detailed notes this time. Granted, they're very short in comparison to theirs, but just to try and help at least remind myself of any thoughts that I had. So well, great. You can take the discussion along this time then. I, I don't have any summaries or anything in that depth, but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens when we get hey, to Hey, here's spots. an idea. Maybe maybe I should like send you the summaries every week. Oh, that's a good idea. Funny how we've been doing this for like five months and I just thought of that. I ain't even thinking that either. Yeah, maybe we should share it and then like add some notes in here or there of any thoughts we have. Should we go? Probably, yep. Chapter ten. Gruntle has been in a drunken stupor for six days since Harlow's death. Butte gives him some tough love, tells Gruntle that he's done grieving for his own family, and that it's up to the living to carve meaning from death. The Panion Domen is about to attack, and it's impossible to leave the city. Butte tells Gruntle that Beauchelaine and Corbel Birch have settled into an abandoned estate, and the first body with organs missing has been found. He enlists Gruntle's reluctant help in shadowing Corbel Birch at night. Itkovian, Brucullian, and Carnatus meet with Hattan and Kafal. The Barghess have requested an audience with the Mast Council. They discuss the impending siege and how the Doman might change its strategy once the Talani Mass destroy the Kachin Jamal. Itkovian says it is impossible to hold for the six weeks that they need until Dujek and Brood arrive. Hetan requests the bones of the Barghast ancestors and is granted permission. Itkovian realizes they are the remains of the Barghast gods and that Humbultar needs them to unite the tribes against the Doman. The council's audience with Brucalian is cut short by workers chopping away the floor of the chamber, revealing dugouts and the bodies of the Barghast ancestors. One of the council members theorizes that the Barghast, Toblakai, and Trell are all related. Stoney and Gruntle go visit Karuli. He's bought the house of a family that committed suicide and used the blood that was spilled to sanctify it to his god. He gives Gruntle a clay bird to be grounded to water and drunk to assist Buke. Gruntle leaves and Karuli says that his gift of not being found is about to fail. Itkovian examines the Bargas dugouts and Kafal tells him of their oldest legends. Gray-faced demons that kept decapitated heads alive upon the blue wastes and a continent far to the southeast covered in forest. Brucalian commands the shield anvil to discover the Burgas secrets by any means, even by breaking his vows. Oh, snap. Break yep. his vows? He would do such a thing. Grintel's not in a good place. Not at all. I felt so bad for him reading that. 
like the main thing I thought was just like the real survival, survival, survivor's guilt. There we go. That he had. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. It felt pretty, pretty real. I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, Buke comes in and gives him some tough love and Gruntle's like, you of all people and Buke's like, damn right, me of all people. He's like, he's like, if anyone can speak on this subject, I'm a pretty good authority. Gruntle says it was a pointless, senseless death and then Buke's awesome quote, they're all pointless and senseless, friend, until the living carve meaning out of them. What are you going to carve Gruntle out of Harlow's death? Take my advice, an empty cave offers no comfort. Good one. Don't don't fill it with emptiness. Fill it with something. I know. Like, don't just sit there kind of dwelling on it. Like, your friend cared about you enough to give their life, so might as well make something of yours, as tough as it is. I gotta say, though, uh, going back a little bit, the epilogue of this one was pretty good, I thought. Of the, uh, the epigraph? The epigraph, that's what it's called. I can't remember what it was. So I just wrote epilogue. I'm like, I don't think that's right. No, the epilogue is <laughs> that's after is the everything. after. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the postscript. Yeah. Yeah, the epilogue for this chapter. The epilogue. Erickson for... thought this chapter was so good, he gave it he gave it its own epilogue. Oh geez. But yes, but... the epilogue for this chapter is really cool talking about Mother Dark and her children. Yeah. Like I like I don't feel like I remember a lot like of what we've heard about them. But this made it, it was like a kind of a good refresher and like clarifier, like just kind of simplified all of them and like, hey, there's three different kinds. I'm like, oh, wow. I only remember the one. Yeah, so, we we haven't really seen the others. Not at all. So. Uh, yeah. So uh, the Tystandi, I think we've heard that they turned away from their goddess, right? Like they turned away from Mother Dark because she embraced light. Yeah, they're like, what are you doing? You're rejecting us. We're the dark. And she's like, I'm picking some light for once. And they're like, how dare you? And she's like, leave then, shoo. Go to your dragon place. And then she's like, and then I'm going to make an in-between one. Yep. I'm going to make my middle child last. Which, I mean, I thought was kind of fitting. I was like, you can't, you have to have like the weird mix, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, why not? So but that was kind of just a cool epilogue there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah corporal birch has started killing people again yes i wanted to mention that yeah they're weird i i feel like we talked about it and i've said that a few times but they're weird they're very unnerving yeah uh buke says corporal birch has the mind of a child right yeah simple urges that he can't help but act on that's fun i know I think it's uh, interesting that Buke, though, is kind of like uh, the shadowing them. Yeah, he's... Uh, I don't like his chances. Me neither. I mean, I think he understands those chances, and that's why he's doing it. But No, I think it's interesting that some people like picked up on it, and the, but there's only like a couple of them that are really looking into it. But like, there's so many weird things that we've seen from them that I'm like, why... Is it still so vague? <laughs> <laughs> we completed book two and there's still no answers. I mean, Matt, one of our other favorite series, Journey Before Destination. This is true. But usually on a journey, you get some answers. You know, you get like a little bit of a look We've ahead. We've gotten some answers. 
Not on these two yahoos. No, but that's just who they are. Let people be who they want to be. I guess that's true. They can be their weird selves, but not. Let them kill people and take their organs. I was going to say, like, what's with the organ thing? Like, they, in the thing, they had the chest and it spilled out and there's just a bunch of organs. And I was like, what creepy. Well, a bunch of organs, like, fitted together in the vague shape of a person. Exactly. Like, what's going on here? Like, that's gross. That's weird. He's a necromancer. But I've never heard of a necromancer doing something like that. That's where I'm like, I'm like, none of this, like, in my brain is adding up. I'm like, like, not once do I think of a necromancer as like, hey, let me go collect organs and put it into the shape of a person vaguely. You know, it's just kind of strange. Well, since when does Erickson do anything by the conventional... By the conventional definition of fantasy. That's true. I mean, he still like follows some themes. There's dragons, there's forces fighting each other, mages and stuff. I mean, they're a little different, but like this one's just weird. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't have uh, too much more to say on that section. Me neither. But then we get to the good stuff, the Bargas Council. Yeah, Ecovian uh, thinks about how it's kind of become them versus the council and poor Prince Jalarkin is caught in between. I don't envy that, Prince. Oh, and how uh, going up on top of the walls made Ecovian scared. Made him scared? Is that right now? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Ecovian went to tour the walls that morning. The uh, prince's soldiers manning the battlements were pale as corpses, silent and virtually motionless. Upon arriving on the walls, the shield anvil had been dismayed by their fear. By the time he made his descent, he shared it. A cold knife lodged in his chest. Hmm. That's just because seeing, like, the siege, right? Seeing, yeah, seeing the Tenescauri and hearing them howling and chanting and stuff. And knowing what they're going to do when they get in the walls. Because they're just outside of it, right? Just sitting there? Yeah. And right now they're trying to get the bar guests help to push them away. That's right. So yeah, they meet with Hatan and she she says to Ikovian, your mouth will be too busy when I bed you, I insist. He just keeps trying to fight it. Poor guy. But then later his yep. his one guy's like, Don't worry about it. <laughs> like if if it if your mission requires you to, you can. He's like, it's part of the mission. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Uh it, that was funny. They briefly talk about tactics, how the we, the weird layout of the city uh, means that it was easy to turn into like strong points and defendable. Sounds like an interesting place, like a very mixed city yeah, in terms of it, architecture it, it really and buildings. Kofian says it's impossible to hold for six weeks. Well, too bad. We have to. How long did that other city last? Three weeks. And it was better defended. And it's bigger and has better fortifications, and they had more food than we do, and they lasted way longer than they should have. I mean, they're like, okay, well, make the impossible possible then. The odds aren't in their favor, but what we've seen from Deadhouse Gates, there is some chances of getting through in this this world. Yeah, but the chain of dogs didn't quite make it. They made it through certain spots that they shouldn't have survived, is what I'm saying. Yes. In the end, they didn't survive, unfortunately. That was really sad. 
but at least the people did. I mean, that was the end goal, and you know they got him there. Yeah. So I hold out hope that there will be a chance, like the city will be taken, but a lot of people make it out, or they'll hold them off and be able to run away, type of thing. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We will see what happens. I mean, you know, I guess, but I don't. Yep. Okay, then let's get to the juicy stuff. What did you think of Hatan's meeting with the council? I thought it was hilarious. The uh, Just like her reaction the entire time to them. Th I finally found it. This is the quote I was wanting to read. I marked it. Okay. She says, because uh, this is the one lady that's like, you dare address us in such a tone? I do, you fart fouled runt. Yes. That's her response. And like, she's like, okay, let me list the answers that you've given us before, and let me just repeat again why they're bullshit. Yeah. I thought it was so funny. And then her brother's in the back, like, like plugging in the PowerPoint, essentially, I feel like, where he just starts bringing in the spirits and is like... No, guys, there's like legit stuff happening. And his sister is just like her antagonistic, like knocking away all their futile attempts of like no's and like, oh, but we can't do that type of thing. Yeah. And she's like, put it, let's put it this way. If we move the bones, then Bargas will stop coming here and bothering you. And you're all about to die anyways. So why do you care? I know. No, like, well, you got a point there. And then Akovian realizes, like, oh, these aren't just any bones. These are, like, the Bargast ancestors. Oh, yeah. No, I remember, like, when that realization came, I was like, oh, snap. This is, like, this is a bigger deal than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like most of this, like, I want to say backburner plot but like in a way it doesn't feel like the forward plot of the story like the main one is like the Malazans versus Penny and Doman and like this is kind of like the, the side story through it all I feel like it's a pretty big deal it's like probably going to set something up bigger because it's we're seeing like more history being revealed and like things starting to happen with the Talana Mass the Jagu and now the Bargas, like them finally getting their ancestors back, which apparently holds some of the keys to their progression, I guess, which have been kept away for so long. Yeah, they haven't had real gods for a long time. Uh, this does connect back to the Malazans, though. This connects to uh, Quick Ben finding Telemandus and yes, it, yeah. stuff that happens later as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then... Uh, the drop away at the floor. It's just been underneath the council chamber the whole time. I thought that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Also, the it's filled with not just bodies, but boats, because turns out the Bargas came from the sea. Heck yeah, they did. Which I think we actually did learn that in like chapter eight or nine, right? That they were they were so. the ones that were late to the ritual, the Talani Mass ritual. The Bargast, yeah. Yeah, because I remember talking, I think it was, uh, was it Justin that mentioned it a ton when we were talking about it in Chapter 8? Yeah. Like, he started making some of those connections and bringing them up. So, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, one of the council members says, hey, I've thought, what if the Bargas, the Toblakai, and the Trell are all related, and the Bargas just have more human blood? 
Well, you may be on something, Mr. Anthropologist. Yeah. You may. I think it was a Wrath Hood, who I think is a female, but yeah, she might be on to something. Oh, yeah. I forget that they're all they're all stand-ins for their gods, right? Yeah. The Wrath like and... indicates a a title of sorts. Yeah, I think it's just their like their title for their council in the okay. city. And I always thought that these masks were magical, but Erickson uh, has said that they are mechanical with like hinges and stuff. So the mask moves when the person talks? Yeah, it mentions like the mask turning into a sardonic grin or frowning. Oh, interesting. So it's like mechanical. That's right. In some way. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I think it's funny because isn't it like the Shadow Thrones, Wrath Shadow Throne that kind of like is agreeing with the Bargast? Yeah, he and I th- is it Hood and Trake that I also so. agree? But like I feel like Hood's the one not Hood, uh Shadow Thrones guy keeps like making quips through the whole thing, like egging things on, yeah. which I thought was pretty great. It's like I feel like that is Shadow Throne. He seems like that <laughs> kind of guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I think it's a. Uh, I thought that was like one of those big moments that like just kind of came out of nowhere. I really appreciate it because I was like, finally, we get some of this cool history, even though it's doesn't feel like much, but it is quite a bit. Yeah. Like understanding more of the history of some of these ancient beings and races, which I feel like the Bargast desperately need right now because we see later on more of the division amongst them, which I feel like could be solved. If they have like a way to focus her direction, their civil the direction of their civilization, maybe that's a way to think about yeah. it. But yeah, and um, uh, quick Ben later, I think is uh, figuring out a way to do that. Yeah, he's a smart cookie. Maybe he'll figure it out. Probably. I guess we we can continue on instead of skipping to yeah. another scene and then back. But uh, Kovian. Uh, learns of the like oldest legends of the Bargast from Kafal about a race of gray-skinned demons that like yep. kept decapitated heads on their boats and chased them on the blue wastes across the ocean. So there, there's some more lore in history. Yeah, uh, that was so cool to see so much of that. And like the boats as well was pretty cool. Like they were protected by magic and they had like a like they seem well crafted and like well maintained. Um, yeah. Carnadus says uh, these have to be like tens of thousands of years old because even the sorcery that's preserving them is starting to break down. Which is interesting to think about sorcery. I think it's always an interesting concept like sorcery fading away. Like it's still not immune to time. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, curious. Time is the one great enemy. I know. Uh, and then we get a small scene. Stunny forces Gruntle to go say sorry to or to go say thank you to Karuli. And he's in a yeah. it's a it's a what's the word? It's a morbid detail that he's a he's in a house where a family committed suicide. Yep. But maybe not. Yeah, like it makes like we don't know who's his who's God is, right? Just the hints of him. No. We just okay. know that it's an elder god, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought it was interesting. And I just think it's funny how much he still just keeps fighting it throughout the whole thing. Stani's 100% converted and convinced. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. 
<laughs> yeah. I, if I go in, I'm not like joining a faith, right? Like I'm not even going to nod to the altar. That's okay, right? She's like, yeah, whatever. Just come say thank you. I thought this was this was one of those moments where I thought this was a bit of darker humor, but like it was still one of those things that Erickson added in was the um when they finally get into the house and she's like the wife crawled out of the main room to die here and and so it was like they're speculating whether it's like a voluntary like suicide or like she changed her or like someone tried to kill her and she tried to run away but i love gruntle's quote of maybe a goat's milk cocker knocked on the door and she was trying to cancel her order (laughs) and stunning just runs with it and he's like that's a bit elaborate but maybe (laughs) yeah i was like Uh that was a way i guess to somewhat lighten a a morbidly dark place to be at yep and uh, then Kareli's like, don't worry, it's all good. They're in a dream world now. The children are laughing. Yeah. It makes me curious to who the Elder God is. Like, I feel like I should know who it is, but... It's theoretically possible that you could have put it together by now, but not likely. Yeah. What did you think of the clay bird that he get, that Kareli gives to Gruntel to uh, grind up into water and then have Buke drink it? I thought that was rather strange, but I was like, I'm like, all right, we'll roll with it. We'll see what happens with that. Something will happen. <laughs> I'm like, it's a clay bird. Like, it's either like my thoughts immediately go towards it's like meant to help him with being a servant of Buke and uh, a servant of Buke. Corball brooch and Bosch Lane. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's helping Buke serve himself. Yeah, but. No, it just made me think like maybe he'll be protected, gain some sort of power. If Buke's a part of that god or something now or following him, maybe it's like a way to continue following him. I don't know. But I thought that was another one of those things. I was like, all right, that felt like it came up nowhere, but we'll go with it. Yep. I didn't think of too much else except that was a uh, weirdly depressing but happy scene. <laughs> <laughs> Of like that's a strange it just makes me curious about that god when it's like no he got the house for cheap because it was uh, a family committed suicide but for him it's great it like sanct- it like cleansed the place or whatever yeah it's, it, it, he used the blood to sanctify it to his god yeah because his god requires blood worship but his god is a good god don't worry I always question that when I see that I'm like is he though is he really I mean Kareli didn't actually kill anyone for it, so maybe you gotta take advantage of the market when you find a good deal. Yeah, say maybe he's an opportunistic blood god. Like he's like, I got time. I got I'm basically immortal. I'll just take what I can get here and there. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else for chapter ten. Me neither. Okay. Chapter eleven. Spindle's hair shirt has caught fire. The rest of the squad bickers around the fire and Detorin punches Hedge when he makes a joke about her. Blend tells Picker that there's no way that the army is actually renegade. As Mallet tries to heal Hedge, he says that his warren is infected. Quickben emerges from Hood's warren after a half day of struggle. He thinks to himself that the crippled god is attacking sorcery because it brought him down and the entire Panion Domen is a faint. Peron stands in the middle of the Bargast camp 
watching duels and seeing Bargas women take bridge burners to the tents. Twist tells him the enmity between their peoples is based on false memories. Piran is plagued by visions of what he saw in the Azath house, and he asks Twist to do something for him. Dawn breaks and warriors gather for Trot's duel. Trot selects to use his Malazan armor and weapons, while Humbrol Tar's son uses only a single knife. Corporal Aimless speaks with Piran about using munitions to make a break for it, and Piran shuts him down. Trotz fights in the way of the Malazan heavy infantry, keeping his stance and moving methodically. He manages to kill the other Bargas, but his throat is crushed. Mulch buys some time by making a hole with a tube for him to breathe through. Twist arrives with Mallet, and Piran says that no one will die on this mission. Quick Ben and Picker climb a hill toward the Bargas camp, not knowing the outcome of the duel. Quick is taken by Bargas spirits into their warren. The squad decides to wait for a bit to see if he will come back. Within the Bargas Warren, a humid, swampy place, Talamandus approaches Quick Ben and pleads with him to persuade Humbrol Tar to accept the ancient spirits to unite the Bargas. Quick Ben asks the spirits to help Mallet heal Trots, and Talamandus agrees. Twist arrives with Mallet. The healer knows he may die healing Trots, but agrees it's a good exchange, and Piran once again wonders at the bridge burners. Mallet feels his soul being torn apart by the poison until the Bargas spirits intervene and he successfully heals Trots. Mulch and Aimless agree that Piran might just make it. Piran meets with Humbrol Tar and learns that Malazan's position is far from secure. He learns from Picker that Quickben is asleep and goes to him. Malik slaps the wizard awake and Quick says they need to meet with Tar to convince him to help Kapistan. The bridge burners are getting drunk and pairing off with Bargast, believing it might be their na- last night in the world. Picker tells Spindle that he can behave and thinks about her dad. Piran steps out of the warchief's tent and thinks about how he can't teach Trots to be a commander. No one with a heart can. They just learn to hide their feelings and humanity. Piran sounds depressed. I mean, he has been this whole book. Poor guy. Yeah, so Spindle's hair shirt <laughs> caught on fire. <laughs> uh, that was inevitable, I feel like. I bet it's not the first time it's happened. No, I'm surprised it's still around, to be honest. I mean, it could be a magic hair shirt. This is true. I mean, everything feels like a magic something. I bet that smelled awful. Oh, yeah. Like, whenever I think of Spindle, I kind of think of Pigpen from the Peanuts a little bit. No idea. Except, do you not know who that is? Mm -mm. It's the kid that walks around with the dust cloud around him all the time. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Except worse. I think I've only ever seen the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special. And other than that, not anything. I think when I was younger, I read one of the the Peanuts books, cartoon books or whatever. But anyways. But yeah, no, I... And then I think it's hilarious that, uh, I mean, poor Hedge getting beat up by supposedly his love interest. Yeah. Uh, she's the rough sort, as someone says later. Yeah, he uh he makes a joke about like they see a bulb Darren and Hedge is like, oh, is that Detorian's lover? That's right. She has a choice uh, between a bowl and Hedge. It's a tough pick. Yep. Uh, so it's played for last, but it's also kind of awful. Because, like, she dumps him by the fire and he's got, like, a busted jaw and a concussion and a bloody nose. And I mean, I think she just knows there's magic healing and it's Hedge. True. Um, I I do also feel like 
if Erickson had made this a man beating up a woman, there would be a lot more discussion about this scene. Oh, yeah, for sure. She um, sounds like a massive woman. Oh, she is. She's giant. But she's human, right? I think she's human, but she's Nippon, I think, which means she has blue skin. Oh, is she Nippon? I think so. Does she have a tail and connect with the animals and have... Uh, no, she no. she's not from Avatar. <laughs> yeah. No, I do feel bad for Hedge, though. Like, you make a joke. It, you, I don't feel like you deserve a broken jaw over that. No. It was a dumb joke, and she should have just like punched him in the face, but not, <laughs> not, not beaten. Legitimately <laughs> beat him. And I would beat him senseless. Poor Hedge. And then it, no one no one seems to believe it, but Blend to Picker is like, come on, there's no way we're actually renegade. I know. And she because like Picker is in the camp of like the whole them breaking off from the Empire was like uh like just a show, right? Uh Blend is in that camp, yeah. Oh yeah. Picker I don't think has thought about it. That was Picker that so, was yeah. thinking about it. Because mm-hmm. who so is Blend that mentioned the the standard bearer? Yeah. Okay. Showed up the like real shortly after the outlawry was like quote unquote made official, and she's like, "Yeah, ah, I bet you anything, he's a high ranking claw." Which I wouldn't put past him. I have no idea who it is. I'm reading. I still haven't figured yeah, it's, it out. It's pretty hidden. But uh, you, Raffo, though, with a promise of an answer. Yes, I love those. Those are the best. I wish we started keeping a raffle at the beginning of the recording and how many oh. when we finally get to, I can just cross it off the list. That's too much work. This, yeah. It's been kind of fun, though. It would Could be. be fun, though. On the bad side, though, of Hedge getting beat up, the Warren's infected. Yeah, Mallet's not looking too great, and everyone thinks it's because he took a nap on a hill facing the sun, and he's like, no. I tried too hard to access my Warren. Yep. Which I I'm trying to remember where I was thinking about this, but it made me think of um how the the Warrens here, the closer they get to the Panion Domain, get more and more infected. Yep. But then it reminds me of how in Dead House Gates they didn't really use the Warrens because of the the soul taken divers. Yep. So I just think it's interesting that both at the same time, there's these two big events corrupting and kind of crippling a huge asset to people. But what I think is curious as well is the Warrens that more to the mystery is that it's a landlocked like a like on the planet. It's like a physically landlocked issue. It seems like Mm -hmm. because like the cripple God infecting the Warrens doesn't affect seven cities. They got the nope. soul taken problem, but down here, the farther you go, get closer, the more and more and more the warns you get infected, which I think is yep. interesting that how much they relate to the land. Yep. I feel like that's a big raffle, maybe. Well, is the warren a thing? Is it another dimension? Is it a place? Is it something? Is it the friends you made along the way? Is it within you? <laughs> the warren, it's a people, not a place. <laughs> well i mean it's it's uh was it kroll's body like he is the warrens or something 
Yeah, anytime you go in the Warrens, you're swimming in Kroll's blood. Just so bizarre to me. Like, this just gets more and more obscure and nuanced and confusing. Maybe I should have said this a while ago, but you will never get a fully firm answer on Warren stuff. Like, you will never... Tell me the wiki. Get it completely fully explained. The wiki doesn't explain it. Well, the wiki is based on what's in the books, so... That's true. And Erickson's never said anything? I mean, their goal was to make it kind of... It's magic. I guess that's true. I, like... Part of me, like, I always think, like, maybe it's hidden somewhere. Like, there's a better explanation. But then I forget, like, no, this is what they consider more of the soft magic. Like, yes, but no, but yes. Like, yes, this is how it is. <laughs> like, just accept it. Yeah, it's like in Harry Potter. Why does having a 11-inch stick of wood in your hand and saying a certain dumb word make, like, shoot a spell that will kill someone? Because I, I've thought too long and hard about Harry Potter magic system over the years. Don't <laughs> it, like because I'm like, but then how do you create spells? Like, how do you create potions? Like, where where's the logic behind it? Like a spell inventor, you know, like things like that. There's too many things. The, I'm like, I just the logic up. behind it is that the author came up with a couple of slightly of the found some Latin or wrote like Latin or Greek words that kind of fit what the spell needs to do and then changed it a little and was like, Hey, here you go. Yeah. Which I mean, is totally valid. Yeah. Like it's a lot of fun, but part of me, like there's too much of that analytical logical side of me. That's like, but wait a second. That's not how that should work. <laughs> yeah. I like this more than I like Sanderson's like, Sanderson's <laughs> Sanderson's like magic reminds me of in Thor the Dark World when he's explaining it to Jane Foster. He's like, or oh, maybe it's an honest trailer for an MCU movie where magic where magic is actually science, but science is basically magic. What? Where like it so magic what? is basically science, like in Thor the Dark World, Thor is explaining the concept of like the wormholes and the different realms to Jane. And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Scientific theory. That'll make sense. Like it, it's science. I get how that works. And then, Oh yeah. 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 And then science is basically magic. It shows like Tony's 3d holograms scanning a map and enlarging it to impossible amounts of detail. And it's like that. No. Yeah. That is anyways. Nice tangent. Anyways, as always yeah. when Warren stuff comes up, I yeah to anyone listening that is in the same boat as me well I guess we'll just never get the answers it's unfortunate but uh, you'll you'll understand a lot more they make a lot more sense as you go on and when you reread but like I should I feel like I should have asked this but like rereading it for the third time do you feel like you're understanding things more yeah still not a lot of the why sometimes but okay like here and there, you're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. Got you. That's pretty cool. Let's see. Quick Ben escapes from Hood's Warren and thinks the entire Panny Doman is just a faint. It's the crippled God flexing his muscles. I was thinking that as well earlier. A little bit. I don't know if the exact way, but sort of. I think it's a ploy. A ploy and a puppet. Yeah. I feel like it's a, a puppet empire controlled by the crippled god just to show something. 
I don't know, scare people. To get a bit of an army, maybe, but yeah, I don't know. But uh, did we did we talk about this that Hood's Warren doesn't isn't as affected as much? Yes, I think we did talk about that with Derek and Justin. Okay. Oh, but yeah, I forgot. He's attacking the sorcery because that's what brought him down. I didn't think of that. I thought that was an interesting note because Uh, yep. wasn't it the eighty plus mages that brought the cripple god to the world? something like that yeah uh they brought it to uh try to try to help with the calor problem As of Calor, we have the crippled god. yep That's right. and then just a sweet little sentimental line quick ben hears the soldiers around the fire and is like ah i'm home I know. Finally, he's back. He needs a break. see see there's a genuine guy inside of quick ben <laughs> One of the 12, or 13, or however many there are. Well, there's 12 inside of him, plus him, I think, or maybe it's him plus 11. I I can't don't remember. remember. And then we get Peron in the uh, Bargast camp. He's like, you know, I kind of thought about banning my soldiers from sleeping with Bargast, but eh. He's like, there's not, there's not much to stop that. There's no point in it, and I could, I can't stop it anyways. Yeah, what what blows my mind about the Bargast is just the constant duels amongst themselves. Yeah, they're they're a very warrior, they're a warrior race, and they don't get together this often with other tribes that they like despise. So you Yeah, you got a challenge. I know, but like a, the challenges to the death that always. I always look at that and I'm like, why would you do that? Like, why would you, why would you kill the other guy? Like, don't you, aren't you going to need him down the road? But I guess if you view yourselves as individual tribes and rivals in that sense, that would give you that reason. Yeah, I mean, the warriors also train their whole lives for combat. It's like their culture. I guess that's true. Yeah. Cause I, just, I, whenever I read that in fantasy or like in, um, In real life, I'm always like, what? What's with the, the fighting to the death in like such a? It doesn't feel like a high stakes thing, you know. But that's probably because I'm reading this book with this very much larger picture in mind, which these guys don't have. Yeah, to them, it's everything right now. Yeah. Uh, Prawn is still, like, still plagued by uh, what he saw in the Azath house. Hasn't left his mind. I imagine it won't be master of the deck. Yeah. He had an out-of-body experience and learned some, learned some things. Yeah. Some important things that I'm glad we got to see. And then what did you think of Trotz's duel? I like it. I thought it was pretty good, personally. Like, I I think it's interesting. I totally forgot. They kept bringing up Trotz for a while. And I was like, who's this Trotz? I feel like I've heard this name. And as part of the issue reading it, how we've been reading it is like, oh, and I haven't been taking as good notes as like, I kind of forget a lot of these names. And so like this Trotz, he's going to enter this duel. And I was like, why is Trotz entering the duel? And they're like, that mentions the detail of, well, Skin's tattooed completely with his clan's history. And I was like, oh, he's Bargash. Yeah. But, uh, So I thought the duel was pretty cool. I think it was interesting to show him kind of being a weird form of an outsider and just like adopting a new strategy that proved to be really effective. <laughs>
against like this very arrogant 11 year old it looked like uh what did it 18 months shy of his his day of becoming a man or something like that yeah like i mean he seemed like a teenager like yeah super he young is so uh i thought it was i thought it was interesting that the the chief pitted him against trots and was like hey how like my youngest son will fight you and i think it's like the chief didn't try to do anything to stop his son from dying it was just oh he's dead Yep, this is their culture. Also, by the way, uh, Hatan's brother. Oh, yeah. So she's lost two brothers. Yep. They, she seemed to mourn. Her and her other brother seemed to mourn their one brother a little bit. Yeah, they were. They had like ash on their face or something. Yeah. So they were in mourning. But this this king, when his son dies in this combat, it did. He didn't seem to be mourning. I mean, I think he was in his own way because after the duel, a bunch of like the chieftains go up to him and he just ignores them all. And then he's very silent and blunt and taciturn when Peron goes to talk with him. Yes, that's true. I didn't really pick up on that. Oh, and then I do love before the duel, Aimless, which poor. I, I think Aimless would make a good stormtrooper in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. That's a great nickname. Uh, then uh, Peron is like, maybe for once I should kill the messenger to rid me of his stupidity. And Aimless is like, um, I would advise that. The last captain that pulled his sword on me, I stabbed him in the back. And Peron's like, like I underestimate even the idiots in this company. Now, that's what I feel like the bridge burners are, though. Like every time I read them, I feel like I'm like, these guys are secret geniuses sometimes in terms of combat. Like they're all, I feel like they're always the weird underdog. Maybe that's just how I view them, but yeah. Uh, and Aimless is like, so it reminds me of like in a gangster movie when someone has to go talk to the boss. Like, so some of the guys were talking, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're doubting your leadership. I'm not with them. I just wanted to let you know. He's like, I'm just the messenger. Uh huh. And then Mulch, who's like a really low-level healer, that's mainly like just a surgeon. It's a re it's a real technique. You poke a hole in between their collarbones and put a put a tube for them to breathe through. I thought that was so cool. I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah, it's a real thing that I don't think it's ever advised for a non-doctor to do it. But I oh, believe that not. is I believe that is a real practice that you can do if someone is having trouble, like with their neck and breathing. Yeah, because, I mean, we could totally be wrong in this, but, like, don't they, like, um, to help breathe, uh, like, even just, like, a permanent, like, kind of hole oh, in yeah. the trachea to help breathe? Yeah, I think some people do have that. Like, I mean, I could be totally mistaken, but I, from it, this was a while ago, like, a few years ago. I remember, I think it was a magazine article or just some story I read about this, uh, I want to say it was a military surgeon who had to do perform a surgery on like a small raft in the ocean on someone like a rescue mission. And he had to like cut into the dude's trachea to like insert something to help him breathe because of like the whole face. So like it was a more extreme measure that you usually wouldn't do because usually you try and insert a tube. Yeah. But like he cut into the, the trachea to help him breathe while they were trying to do some other things to help get him out of there. But.
And you mentioned, I think that is a real one. Just don't try it at home. May not No. be, may not work out. Yeah, I I I Mulch is like, yeah, I learned this from this other healer because when when the going got tough, he couldn't use his Warren performance issues. Definitely. I uh I thought it was in I thought it was a pretty smart move though by that kid to just punch him in the the throat. Yeah, like stiffened fingers into the throat. Like that Ugh. like that would hurt and like be pretty scary. But when I remember when I remember reading I was like I don't like that kid just because like the whole fight he feels so arrogant. And uh so like I didn't feel too bad that he lost. As sad as that may be to say, but I was like, that was a, that was a good, like, kind of like last stand move, you know, like in Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think uh I think he had reason to be arrogant because does it don't they say he's won like <laughs> twenty seven duels or something without even a scratch on him? yeah, like he's never lost type of thing. Yeah. Reminds me of a bit of the duel in Dune. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, at the end? No, it's the one on Oh, the... wait. The, the one guy with the prisoner, like the gladiator fight. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like when I was reading that, it kind of reminded me of that a bit. Like kind of that same like bit of arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> Quickman gets drawn into yet another Warren. He, he can't stop. <laughs> I know when I read that, I was like, man, dude just can't catch a break. <laughs> He gets drawn down by Burn, and then he got No, it was Crippled God, then Burn, right? Crippled God, then Burn, and then he gets stuck in Hoodsworn for a bit, and then, like, literally, probably a few hours later, drawn back down by the Bargas spirits. To there, Warren. Yep. And uh, they're like, so we need, like, we need to uh, find a way to get to the Bargast. And Quick Ben is like, well, we need trots to live. So make a deal let's 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 work out a deal here. And they're like, okay, some of us will sacrifice ourselves into oblivion to help your healer heal healed trots. yeah because he can access his warm because of the poison Yep. yeah And uh it's it's it like hits you in the chest a little bit when Mallet's like, you uh, just so you know, I'll probably die. But don't worry, it's a good exchange. I see that. Like, it's fine. yeah No, that, like, Mallet definitely has kind of that healer's mindset, I feel like, of, like, I'm just here to keep people going. Yep. That's kind of his position, which is, uh, which I feel like I've had that thought before about healthcare, like, kind of going on a bit of a tangent, just, but, like, healthcare, like, they spend their whole life keeping other people alive. <laughs> Yeah. like, that's their whole focus, which I thought was interesting, like, kind of that trade of their life. giving their life to gain that knowledge so that other people can kind of live their lives. So shows Mal to like a man of true character, I feel like. Yeah, and then Peron, for until Mallet makes it, Peron's like, "What did I do? I just ordered a man to his death, and he didn't even blink." Yep. And when they're like, hey, check out Mallet. And he's like, I just tell me later. He's like, I don't want to deal with this right now. You didn't even want to look. Well, it gets Mulch and Aimless on his side because they're like, "Man, that dude is cold." He might actually, he might actually make it as our captain.
<laughs> I forgot about that part. Yeah, because wasn't it uh, the chief that was like, well, just kill a couple of them. That's what I'd do. <laughs> yeah, just kill a couple of them and assert your dominance. And he's like, wow, that's not exactly how it works here. That's not my job. Yeah. I did think it was weird that Peron looks at Humbrol's chest and is like, that's big enough for three bodies stacked on top of each other. Oh, yeah. That was just a weird detail. It's like, Peron, why are you measuring chest like a trunk size in uh, in dead bodies? Why is that your unit of measurement? I know. I feel like there's some um, weird units of measurement occasionally. Um, And then he learns Quick Ben's asleep and he brings Mallet over and Mallet's like, oh, don't worry, it's fine. It's protective sorcery. He'll be good. He'll wake up in his own time. And Prone's like, well, can you speed it up? And Mallet's like, sure. Slaps him. Slaps him across the face. <laughs> I was like, that's... Um... That's some protective sorcery you got going there. Yeah. <laughs> Just can you speed it up? Sure. Slap. And then, oh, Quick Ben is so cocky in this scene. Oh, yeah. You all owe me. The man's always saying that. Gods with an ego. Oh, yeah. Um, I and then, that. Uh, Mallet, you got company in that body of yours feeling strange. And Prawn's like, what do you know about it? Only everything. He's like, you he's like, I know more than you know. Spindle that hair shirt reeks. Go away before I throw up. <laughs> um, and, and then the next oh go ahead. No, you can finish. Oh, I'm going on to the next scene, so oh I was just gonna say I thought it was funny though that Spindle was the one sitting there like taking care of Quick Ben as well. He's looking over him, and then as soon as he sees him, he's like, Scram, get out of here. You smell. Spindle's like, some gratitude. <laughs> um, uh, the next scene is Picker and Blend talking. Uh, Ancy with one of the bar guest women, and she's going to come up with a confused look on her face. Like, that's it? She blinked and she missed it. Oh, uh, Spindle comes up and is talking to Picker like, I can't do anything. What would mom say? And Pick is like, Spindle, your mom's dead. You can misbehave. I promise. It's fine. And then she, like, she thinks she sees, like, the imprint of Knuckles on his cheek for a second. Like, his mom's spirit was there and punched him for... And then she's like, Dad, don't come near me or I'll slit your throat, just like I did the first time. I thought that was pretty wild. Show some of the people oh. they got in the group. All the time, like with Spindle in his mom's hair shirt, you get these like throwaway lines. It's like, wait, hold on. I need to know your entire life story now. Like, why did you why did you kill your dad? I know. I was like, you're just going to leave us at that. She's gotten over it. It's no big deal. She'd do it again in a heartbeat. Makes me think I was like, was he an alcoholic? Like kind of abused people. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the Morath are kin to the Bargas, we find out. Yep, because their languages are similar as well. Yep, their languages are similar. And uh, Twist says to Pran at one point, like, like, it's not us that changed and descended. Like, it's them. They're the degenerates, not us. Yeah, but like the, the legend is like, 
No, they went into the dark, mysterious forest, and then they got corrupted and became who they are, and they came out as insect people. And we didn't like the dark, mysterious forest because that's where we fled from the gray-skinned demons. Yep. Which isn't the gray-skinned demons, the Bargast. <laughs> no, the Bargast were fleeing the gray-skinned demons. Which ones were the gray-skinned demons, then? I don't uh, Did we learn this? I don't remember. Akovian says, uh, let's see here. Because I thought heist, heist the Noor or something like that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So then the Bargas left them, but then the Moranth went in and were like, hey guys, let's be friends. I think what or... the Moranth are saying is so the Moranth and the Bargas used to be the same. Yeah. And that's the people that fled the ocean from that far distant continent. And then what happened is the Bargas stayed in the mountains. And the Moranth are the like breakoff group that went into the forest. Okay, because they because they all came as one from across the sea. They got there, landed. Then the forest was there with the Tist Eder. Tistanor is what Inor. he says. And so then the Moranth sect broke off and went in there, right? Yeah, but on a different continent, so they didn't go into where. Like they didn't go into the same forest as what the Bargas were fleeing from because this is on a d different continent now. Hmm. That's Raffle. too much. <laughs> That's too much for me right now. It's pretty cool though. I'm excited to get learn more about that. I did want to read the epigraph for this chapter as well. Uh, the Malazan military's vaunted ability to adapt to whatever style of warfare the opposition offered was in fact superficial. Behind the illusion of malleability, there remained a hard certainty in the supremacy of the imperial way. Contributing to that illusion of flexibility was the sheer resiliency of the Malazan military structure and a foundation bolstered by profound knowledge and insightful analysis of disparate and numerous styles of warfare. Oh, that's fun. So hmm. the, the epigraph for chapter... Oh, wait, no. No, I got that mixed up. Never mind. What epilogue is this? For... <laughs> For chapter 11. Uh, that's right. Wait a second. I need to go to the wiki really quick to confirm something. This is a raffo, I assume. Uh, if I find what I think I'm looking for. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, he is in. So the epigraph for chapter 11 is a commentary. It's a commentary by Ennet Obar the Lifeless. On Temul's 13-page treatise, Malazan Warfare. Temul is one of the Wiccan youths that is charged to take the refugees to Eren at the end of the Chain of Dogs. I just noticed that right now for the very first time. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I just was reading that and I was like, Temul, I've heard that name before. Wiccan, yes. It's gotta be the same. <laughs> Because yeah. this is fantasy, and no one can have the same name as anyone else. It's true. Put a lot of work into these fake names. Yep. Let's see. I don't think I have anything else for chapter 11. I can't think of anything either. Oh, wait. We've got Peron thinking about how to live beneath the burden of command, and how he's realized from Whiskey Jack that no one really can. They just learned to hide it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we mentioned that he's a bit depressed, going through some tough things. Yep. Yeah. Now I think uh, Peron's been an interesting uh, reflection of 
learning to be in military command. Like it's very subtle, but ish, I guess. Like it feels pretty obvious, but at the same time it's kind of like anytime we see him, it's just more and more adding on like his adjustment to it all and him learning just how to cope with it. Yeah, he is learning because he he does start out his first command in Gardens of the Moon being like, so I hear you guys kill your captains a lot. <laughs> they just stare at him like, uh, you have no idea, bud. <laughs> they yeah. says they says this royal brat to come try and lead us. I mean, it took him dying like legit and then coming back for him to realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't always say everything that I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe my noble blood doesn't protect me. Nope. You're not special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it for me for chapter 11. Yeah, I don't have anything else. Okay, chapter 12. Talk studies the Fortress of Outlook. He has been chosen by a Naster as a lieutenant and gained a reputation for his one eye and not speaking. He is slowly being worn down in his resolve not to eat human flesh. And Aster informs the officers that they will march to Coral and take the city, and that the seer wishes to meet Tok. Tok climbs the stairs to the top floor of the seer's tower. He discerns an entity hiding within the corpse that is the seer, and the seer wonders how he knows this. He offers Tok meat, and as he gathers power, Tok smells ice on the wind and detects ancient memories. Roll credits, title of the book. He sees once more through Balejag's eyes. Envy's party is greatly damaged, and a sorcerous storm born of Jagut magic descends upon them. When Tok returns to his body, he sees gray roots of power snaking down from the seer, who knows of his contact with Balejag and sends him into the embrace of a mother in darkness that breaks his bones. Uh, to quote my joke from the first Memories of Ice episode, Tok is not feeling well. <laughs> no, no, he is not. Not at all. I feel bad for him. He has not had good luck. No, I do think he would legitimately be dead if he had stayed with Envy, though. Oh, 100%. After reading about how they've been doing, I'm like, talk would have been gone. Yeah. <laughs> I love the detail of like, yeah, so the, the Panion Doman, there's been three pitched battles of like armies against these like six beings, and yep. they've decimated every army. Yeah, like, I mean, they've all come away scratched up, but, like, they're still fighting him. Which makes me, like, the Sagula are pretty gnarly, but, like, after reading that, I was like, oh, my, wow. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so Tool takes one flank, the Sagula take the other, Envy just decimates the middle, and then the wolves go wherever they want and just kill everything. And if Tool gets a little overwhelmed, he just pops into dust and pops right back up. <laughs> yep. He's a little beat up, but he's still going. Which just is, I mean, because these are the cannibal armies, right? No, so they, I think they've been taking on a mix because they've had like pitch battles against like actual soldiers. Okay, because I was going to say, reading about that cannibal Dead Seed army, I'm like. Yeah, where talk is, yeah. I'm like, they, they just seem more like a crazy frenzy. They'll just do anything. So it's like, I feel like them just charging in, they'd be pretty blind, crappy soldiers. So it'd be pretty easy for them like to hold them off. But knowing like now more of some of the fights of like, no, these are legit trained soldiers getting beat up by these six these six beings just without any issues. It's yeah. kind of nuts. 
yeah, so Anaster, the first child of the dead seed, uh, apparently is like straight up gorgeous. A little bit. Men and women are like, please sleep with me. <laughs> it's kind of creepy, uh, honestly. It's creepy. Like, it's not Anaster's fault, but I don't think that I would be able to, like, be around anyone that I knew that was how they were born. Yeah. No, the, that whole group, the entire time I'm reading it, I'm like, this is a creepy and settling group. Yeah, and, like, the story of how his mom, like, like said the vow, like, saying the vows in of her culture, like, the marriage vows as she was on the dead body, and then, like, going into the widow ritual when the man was fully dead. It's like, ugh. Uh, anytime we get to these guys, I'm always like, it's a major part of the story, so we have to talk about it. But part of me is like, uh, this is so bizarre and just yeah. gross and creepy that I'm like, yeah. But also remember, it's happened in real life. That doesn't make it any better. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know that makes it worse, <laughs> but it's it's funny when people are like, what kind of twisted thing made Erickson come up with this? And it's like, it's a, it's a little thing we call history. No, like anytime I read anything in this, I'm always like, where did Erickson get that? Like what part of his? Because like knowing his background is like, a, what does it say specifically? An archaeologist and anthropologist is what his little spiel at the yeah. Back page says, I was like, anything in this that feels kind of wild, unless it's like a crazy magic something, I'm guaranteed has to be drawn from history. Because like this is a bit of social commentary, I feel like some of these bits, like mm -hmm. very layered on under with fantasy. So I'm like, no, he's pulling from some very bizarre parts of history. Anytime I see stuff like this, I'm like, wow, you had to play that card. <laughs> I do think it's really funny that talk just talk being chosen by an aster and then not saying anything is making people be like, he is wise. He knows stuff. <laughs> just doesn't comment on anything silent in all the council meetings. Uh-huh. They're like, wow, he is. He must be the one like he's just all knowing. Yeah. It cracks me up. Oh, one eye losing yeah. an eye means that you get deep sight. Which, I mean, I think we've seen is true a little bit. You gain a new perspective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I feel bad because, like, reading it, like, I am... Because talk, he's just in a really crappy situation. He's, like, he is starving, like, reading his bit of him climbing up those stairs and stuff. I was like, wow, I'm, I feel bad for him. Like, that sounds rough. Yeah. Not to this degree, but I felt like him before. Like, I've climbed a mountain or two, and if you're if you're hiking or climbing for a long time, time just does kind of seem to stop existing. Yeah, I remember we were doing King's Peak when I was younger, and like we didn't, I didn't drink enough water at one point, or didn't eat enough, and so I was like, I was like dragging my feet, like legs felt heavy, type of thing, just felt terrible. For those that are unaware, King's Peak is the highest mountain in Utah where we live. Yeah. And it's not that big a deal, guys. I wrote, it's for those thinking it's not like a mountain Everest or something. Like, no, have you? It's pretty high. Yeah. Have you been to it? Because mm -mm. when we went, we came in from the north side. So it was like a 10 mile hiking. And then you just kind of climb up, walking slowly along the ridge until you 
hit the peak. So it was really cool, but if it was a lot easier than I thought it would be getting there. It's a 25 to 30 mile round trip and it's generally done as a two to three day backpacking trip. Sounds about right. I've heard of people that will go run it in just a day. Oh, geez. Um, for our non-American people, the people that use the normal measurement system, 30 miles is about 48 kilometers. Uh, no, we only use miles here because we're the best. No, no. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion, but our system makes no sense in any sort of measuring. There's a few times I'm like, I don't mind it. And then there's other times I'm like, this is dumb. I'm like, like whenever I have to do the mile conversions in math and the teacher's like, it's this. I'm like, why do I have to memorize five, three? Yeah, it's like 12 inches is a foot. Three feet is a yard. 5,582 feet is a mile. But it's like, why can't it just be a meter, a hundred meters, a kilometer? Well, it had there's a Nate Bargatze um, SNL thing. He did a George Washington like speech. It was pretty funny. You'd probably enjoy it. But he did a whole thing on that because he's like, well, how many yards in a in a mile? He's like, no one knows. We just use the feet. <laughs> yeah, it's and the only time you the only time I use yards is in football. I know is in American football. In American football is the only time we use yards like consistently or uh, sometimes because even like most things that we call a yardstick are actually meter sticks and they measure meters. Yep. I mean, I use, I think we use some yards in golf when I've gone out, like we'll be like, it's 15 yards, but yeah, it's so infrequently used. Well, and then don't even get me started on our, volume instead of milliliters and liters it's like okay eight cups makes a pint two pints make a quart four quarts make a gallon yep the gallon uh, king and 16 king. ounces make a pound two thousand pounds make a ton yeah it like do you remember doing the gallon man or gallon king or whatever in uh no. in cooking class i remember that it is so stupid. I don't remember it because it was like, well, here's this story to remember it. And I was like, why do I need a story about this whole kingdom to learn how the cups and measurements of this works? Made no sense. No sense at all. Anyways, getting back on track. Yeah. Where were we again? Um, let's see. Oh, talks. Comment of, yeah. Talks. I has been changing into that of a wolf. Yep. Um, and then as the seer gathers power, talk smells ice and ancient memories. Um, Doesn't sound familiar at all. No. And then he sees through Balejag's eyes again. Mm -hmm. uh, and Envy and Tool are like, that's Jagged magic. But the Panion has Kachane Shamal. Has the Jagged and Kachane Shamal ever worked together? Nope. This shouldn't happen. And the seer notices... um talk using it yeah and then sends him somewhere even worse yeah that threw me a little bit i was like what is happening Raffo. yeah i mean i know we'll learn more but it was like because he was like thrown into it like a weird warren thing of like constant torture but not like he's still alive uh, i'll tell you it's not a warren it's, <laughs> it's not a place. one no okay 
I I felt a bit bad as well. The the one dead seed leader dude took his weapons. He's like, I'll keep these safe. Oh, yeah, don't worry. I'll keep them safe for I was you. like, no, those are the cool those are tool made those. I was like, those are sweet. It was like poor Yep. talk. Just getting everything taken from him. Yep, and he feels his bones breaking as the thing embraces him, but the healing is still there, and it's like knitting his bones back together, but in weird ways as he keeps getting... Crushed. Mm-hmm. Because it's something hugging him or like a boa weird. Yeah. Yep, and uh, the seer mentions something within talk and like talk thinking that talk is there like to assassinate him, so that's interesting. I know. I'm like, talk is like, it was one of those things. It reminds me back at the beginnings of Gardens of the Moon where he's like, you don't want to be noticed by a god. And talk kind of was and is. Feels like a little bit like he's being used in a way he doesn't want to be. Yeah, I mean, a god did speak to him earlier and say, Yep. I'm sending you to the seer. So there Yep. you go. Unfortunately, this is a depressing chapter for talk, but I don't have much else to say about it. Me neither. I just hope he catches a break down the road. <laughs> he got thrown into the warren of chaos, spit out a few... whatever distance away and just happened to run into tool thankfully but poor guy just hasn't caught a break Nope. Yeah, do we move on, I guess? yeah might as well this because this next part gets really cool Chapter 13. The Mibe thinks on the commanders of the army, and Whiskey Jack approaches her. He attempts to offer comfort, but they misunderstand each other, and she tells him to leave. At the vanguard, Corlett tells Whiskey Jack that Silver Fox feels abandoned by her mother. Krupp assures everyone that the Trigel Trade Guild will make its delivery on time, and Dujek manages to get under the fat mage's skin. Whiskey Jack rides to the rear guard and speaks with the two marines, a pair of sisters that have volunteered to guard Silver Fox. He tells them about his sister who left to marry a king. Silver Fox tells the commander that those marines will die for him now because he's shown them his humanity. The Trigal Trade Guild appears through a warren portal in a river of blood. Silver Fox says it's the blood of an elder god. Kalor sits in his tent, renewing his life force with alchemical candles and thinking about his long life and how he is patient until the moment comes to act. Gethol appears and offers him the position of king in the House of Chains. After receiving assurances that he can do as he pleases and that he won't have to bend his knee, he accepts, but he requests a moment of vulnerability for Silver Fox in return. Whiskey Jack stares up at the night sky and is joined by Corlat. They speak about the conflict on Genabacus and how it became more civilized as it went on, each side honoring its enemies. Corlat asks for them to become lovers and Whiskey Jack accepts and shows Corlat the keepsakes from fallen Tystandee he's kept out of respect. The Mibe clings to a precipice in her dream and as she is about to fall into the abyss she is snatched up by an undead dragon who carries her to safety. A voice asks her if she's ready to see them and relay something that Krupp said to Silverfox. The Mibe wakes and expresses her hatred for the world. Another depressing note then the chapter. Yeah, the Mibe <laughs> is not feeling well. nope, not at all. Yeah, um, Whiskey Jack's conversation with her, I get kind of irritated with Whiskey Jack. Because what, what he's basically saying to her here is, well... It's just the conjure. It's just your imagination, Yeah. kind of invalidating her experience. I know. I feel like, because I know Whiskey Jack, like, 
from what we've seen is like a genuine kind of guy. Like he wants to help her, but he totally misreads everything. I feel like. Yeah. Dreams can be not but an imagination's fashioning of its own fears. You are projecting a just punishment for what you perceive as your life's failure. Don't be an asshole. You didn't have to say that. Yeah. I mean, reading it, I did feel like there's a partial truth. Like, she yes. is kind of letting herself spiral and things like that, which, granted, I'm not, like, not justifying, like, and, like, making her, like invalidating her feelings because like it's genuine like her daughter is literally sucking away her life force and so it's like that's understandable and like more than i think it's more than um acceptable for her to be feeling those ways but whiskey jack being like you are letting yourself spiral you know you're mentally this is this is on you and she's like what <laughs> you don't understand do you yeah <laughs> So, like, it he definitely was at fault, but, yeah, he didn't know how to help there, which is unfortunate. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an impossible situation. It really is. Oh, I did want to, let's talk about the epilogue one more time for the, the chapter. Epilogue. Yes, love these epilogues. Um, just the stats for the army. Uh, of the 10,000 soldiers, 4,912 women, 1,267 under 25. 721 over 35 and the rest in between. And then even more remarkable when you consider all the different conflicts that they had veterans of. Uh, and then how does one measure such an army by their deeds and that which awaited them in the Panion Doman would make of one arms host a legend carved in stone. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So literally pretty much half women. Yeah. I feel like for a, a conquering imperialistic empire, they have a lot of respect for their enemies. Mm -hmm. Like they, I don't feel like they go in necessarily trying to destroy them. They're just like, you're going to be part of us now, which I mean, I think is a pretty cool concept of them. Just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going yeah. with that, but it is. And like Kalam thinks about how the empire made seven cities better. But then you also have the question of like, what right does military might give an empire to change or destroy a, another culture's culture? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I do think of it in that sense as well. as Because, um, like, it's... Because if you think back on history, like, Rome and them were just doing it just to do it. The Malazan Empire is very similar to the Roman Empire in that lots of times it leaves cultures to their own devices, and it's just like... Well, now you're Roman or Malazan now. Which I think the, the whole idea is just to grow and for resources as well. I mean, I'm no historian or economics person as much as I would like to be in a layman one day of it. But I think part of the drive is just like the economic reasons, the power, just saying like, hey, we hold this much area. And maybe as well, it's like a thought of if we take care of them, make them part of us now, then we won't have enemies in the future to deal with type of thing. Like most things, it's complicated and there's many sides. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we call life sometimes, maybe. Multi-side, multi multifaceted. <laughs> sometimes I do wish that it was like humans versus evil, like Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings is such a nice read sometimes. 
or a nice story when you're just like, ah, yes. Yeah, I don't have to feel empathy for the enemy. No, because if you look at them, they don't have a, they don't care about themselves. They're cannibals and they just are out there for pure destruction. Yeah, they're legitimately evil. Yeah. Whereas here it's like, well, you see, uh, yeah. Yeah. Whiskey Jack rides back up to the Vanguard. Corlat tells him that Silver Fox uh, could need some help, feels abandoned by her mother. So Whiskey Jack is going to go talk to her. And then uh, Krupp says, uh, Tempers grow short, but not as short as Krupp, for whom all nasty words whiz impactless over his head and are thus lost in the ether. And those darts aimed lower. Ah, they but bounce from Krupp's ample equanimity. And Dujic says, fat, you mean. <laughs> and then Krupp goes on this long-winded like speech in Paragoth that he's really saying nothing. And Corlett's like, you got under his skin after all. Yeah. And the, the, just the sentence at the end, Dujic's answering grin was an expression of perfect satisfaction. I know. He finally, he finally got him. He's like, I did it, you bastard. He's like, I bugged you. That was, yeah, I thought that was so funny. I was like, ah, oh, this was another great corrupt scene. Yeah. I think the, my favorite scene of this chapter is Whiskey Jack going to talk to the Marines. Yeah, it was a good one. They start talking and they, they're like, when we run out of this weapon, we use this. And when it gets closer, we use this. And then we use our teeth. And Whiskey Jack's like, so uh, how many brothers did you have to use your teeth? Seven. But they all left as soon as they could. And so did dad. But mom was better <laughs> off without her. Or mom was better off without him. I I love that because it's just like it's that banter there. But I love Whiskey Jack is just like, yeah, the younger sister. Yeah. You see my see these scars on my arm? No, no, not these ones here. This one. That's my sister. She bit me. And then she went off to quote unquote marry a king. I we haven't seen her since. She vanished. We don't know where she is. And then he goes back to Silver Fox and she's like you realize they die for you in a heartbeat now because you're just like so effortlessly human. Which I think is an interesting, just one of those other notes that he throws in of just like, now that they understand he's more of a friend than a human, of course they're going to try and fight for him. Be like, yeah, he's my friend. Yeah. Which I also think this is why, uh, Lacine didn't want whiskey Jack gone. Cause he's too good. Yeah, but she didn't want him anywhere near like real power because he's too good. Yeah, like he's like it's very smart of her because if he was back home, people just naturally gravitate towards him, and so since there's a, that vacuum, she can fill it, and people will be like, "Well, this is what we got," you know. Yeah. Like she's smart, she's powerful. Whiskey Jack's human. <laughs> yeah, and I I've had this thought before. I'm sometimes I think like. Man, Whiskey Jack got so lucky. He had like the best squad. And then I'm like, well, maybe they were the best squad because of Whiskey Jack. Because he brought like kind of that like desire for them to do their best for each other, I think, probably to like be there like, hey, we're a team. We're in this together, not just like another nameless face in a nameless squad for the history yeah. books. Is this uh oh, yeah, right after here, it's the um the gnarly kind of gross portal. Yeah, the Trial Trade Guild appears. It was kind of comical, some of the things. They're like, hey, look, we have this demon arm. What do I do with it? It latches <laughs> onto the wheel, and they're like, well, guess it's going to be a bumpy ride till it wears through the fingers. 
It's like, you guys have knives, right? You could just chop it. Yeah. Well, wasn't it there? I thought it was so crazy, though. It's like, what did they go through? Because it was like a river of like blood. That Yeah. was pretty gross. And then there was a bunch of these like caravans coming through like the carriages. But then they're like, you. it mentioned there's like black marks where there were people that now aren't there because of something happened. I'm like, what in the world? And they're like, what's that demon doing? They're like, oh, they're trying to get out as well as us. Yeah, they were trying to hitch a ride, but they didn't sign a waiver. Like, we can't have that. <laughs> yeah, Silver Fox mentions that the blood is an is an elder god's, and knowing what we know about Warrens and an elder god's blood. Makes me think I know who it is. You're right. <laughs> yep. It's Treach. Just <laughs> kidding. yes, Trichu <laughs> has not been a god. Wait a second. It's not him? Dang it. I was so close. For those that did not pick up on that, Matt was being sarcastic there. Yes. Sorry, people. My sarcasm's a little dry sometimes. Well, Yeah, let's it's... just say it's it's Kroll's blood. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cruel. Which <laughs> uh, he gets brought up a little bit after that by oh Calor. yeah, he does in a bit. What did you think of the Calor scene? No, I, I really liked the Calor scene. What did you think of the Calor scene and his century candles? Okay. This is probably entirely inaccurate, but my thought was like, how in the world do you get these candles? Like, just it feels like out of nowhere that these are brought in, but it makes sense how he's alive because it's never explained that he, how he's lived so long. So these candles make sense, but made me think like, did he grow a big civilization just to sacrifice it to make candles to live long? No, so But... one, he will live forever because of the Elder The God's curse. curse on him. That's right. So the candles just help him function Okay. and like not be a completely broken, useless, flabby mess on the ground that's unable to move. Gotcha. So it's to keep his body going, even though So he would it like still be going. it like renews his like energy and life force, I want to say, rather than actually... It doesn't actually make him younger or anything. It just helps him keep going. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and he mentions that the candles are made with a rare sea worm. Oh, it's a sea worm. I didn't catch that. Okay. I think it says that, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be wrong, but part of me was thinking, I was like, that's like, that was my thought of how you'd make those candles is like sacrifice an entire civilization type of thing. Because that's what uh, one of the Sith Lords did in Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so I did, I just checked, it is a sea worm that's Okay. been crushed up and made into a candle, <laughs> so that's fun, Aromatherapy. and then, then he thinks about, apparently it's eight wizards <laughs> that called down the crippled god, not 80, oh, it was only eight? it says eight mighty wizards, so for a second looking at it, my brain turned eight mighty into 80, That's what but my it does brain say did. eight. Okay. Yeah, no, I read 80 as well. Okay, that's good to know. Um, and he thinks, he thinks with like some satisfaction, like, ha, they're all dead now. And Of course he thinks the, that. the gods came to punish me. So I denied, like, I destroyed my empire so they couldn't. Because no one would would have expected that. And then he ruined the gods. He cursed them. Yep. Because then he was like, how do you like your curses now? Ha! Huh. He's like, Yeah. I'm living forever, but so what?
Yep, and then uh, Gethel appears, uh, face all slashed up, and Gethel says something like slightly insulting. And Keller's like, "I'm tempted to add to your facial distress." Doesn't he like make a quip about his brother, like Gethel's brother? Yeah, Gothos is uh, Gethel's brother, and he, uh, what does he say? Try remember. Doesn't he like compare him and say like your brother's better off or something? Oh. You were never as smart as your brother, were you? Somewhere, Gothos must be laughing. Gothos never laughs, but given that I know where he languishes, I do. Often. It's true. Because he's stuck <laughs> in that Zath house. Yeah. I just love that his response is like, Gothos doesn't laugh. You're like, you don't know my brother. He's not a guy. Of, he's not a man of humor. Or Jagu yeah. of humor. I can't remember which one it was. I think it might have been Justin who called it. Kalor might become the king of the House of Chains. Yeah, I think it was Justin. Because as I was reading it, I was like, I feel like Justin read something ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, he called this. <laughs> I was I was trying so hard when we were recording that part to sit there and say nothing, being like, no way. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, and he's like, okay, so I can do whatever I want, and I don't have to kneel to anybody. Sounds good. Just give me a moment for Silver Fox to be vulnerable and we're good. Yep. And I think it's interesting that the god that destroyed his empire is the god he's now going to be serving. He blames the mages, not the god himself. Yeah, that's true. But still just interesting to see how they're Mm -hmm. connected that way still. And then Kalor's like, what do you think of my throne? Does it work well for the house? And Gethel looks at the cracks running throughout the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, that works. He's like, he'll appreciate that. Imperfections. Yep. I take it back. I said my favorite scene of the chapter was Whiskey Jack talking to the Marines. It's Whiskey Jack and Corlat. Specific reason? Because I love it. Like, it, it's done so well. It's true. Yeah. No, I thought um, it was done very well. Talking about the conflicts and like you uh, like Whiskey Jack telling her like you guys honored us whenever we were clearly in retreat. You didn't follow and we honor the Tystan D dead. And they're like, huh, it's kind of weird that our war got like more respectful as it went on. Yeah, like there was more honor in the fighting. I thought that was really cool. And as well, I thought it was cool. Uh, they kept on to the trinkets. Yeah, I don't know why, but when I read that earlier today, it got me kind of emotional. I I feel like it's understandable because I feel like it's Whiskey Jack kind of having a moment of vulnerability with her just being like, hey, no, like we fought because, you know, like he has no our purpose. We're here to conquer. But like we learned more fighting you guys than we did in a lot of the other battles. Like fighting you guys made us better people, ironically, and being conquered. Yeah. So. I love that Whiskey Jack makes a really dumb joke, like someone to spend the night with. And she's like, no, you idiot. Not someone. I wanted you. And uh, and he's like, well, I feel like he's like a teenage kid. Like, well, duh, I've got feelings for you. But I thought you I thought you would be with someone of your own kind. And she's like, for what? What's the point of companionship? Children? Yeah. We have children, rarely, and usually because we're bored. Yeah. No, it's an, an interesting concept for her, because she's just lived so long, you know? Yeah, and he's, she's like, just so you know, it's very rare for one of us to take a companion from another race, and he's like, 
Okay, I get it. I'm honored. Stop talking. Let's go. He's like, fine, fine, fine. You won me over. Let's let's go to your tent. <laughs> yeah, you can you convinced me as if I needed it. I feel like this was coming since the first yeah. like interaction. Well, it's really funny. I'm editing our our episode on three and chapters three and four right now, and you said, I like the idea of their relationship. I know nothing's gonna happen with it. <laughs> uh i mean my words now like i'm trying to think back to why i was thinking that i just think it's because she's like that timeless being or like kind of lives a long time maybe that's why i was thinking like she'd be like wow he's awesome but it won't work out maybe i mean it's arwen and aragorn oh snap that's true but she doesn't give up immortality (laughs) no (laughs) But this is more out of boredom, right? <laughs> yeah. No, this is not more out of boredom. I think she's genuinely this is a genuine thing, but yeah, she's just true. not having to give up her immortality to be with him. Yeah. So it's not as powerful. <laughs> it's just an yeah. okay one. If you don't have to sacrifice as much for it, it doesn't mean as much, right? Nope, not at all. And like I like I said in our episode with Derek and Justin, it reminds me again of the Vision quote from the end of Age of Ultron. Something isn't beautiful because it lasts. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, so I just really like that scene. Like, It's a good one, honestly. Like, Erickson's, I, best, Erickson's best romantic scene so far, for sure. 100%. So much better than Colossum's. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. I do... I do really like what he does with Crocus and Absalar and Deadhouse Gates. How that kind of continues and is it's not really romance at this point, but it's like it's teenage yeah. romance. It's teenage, like they like each other, but yeah. No, I like it. I really like this chapter in so far, like Gardens of the Moon, we never really saw Whiskey Jack. And like anytime I watched a review, like the non spoiler reviews and stuff about um, anything to do with this series, Whiskey Jack was mentioned, and I was like, he ah. sounds like a cool guy. In Gardens of the Moon, nothing. Book two, <laughs> still nothing. <laughs> so book three, I've really been enjoying, especially like this chapter where we get to see more of him and see more of like, he's, like his book one, he still kind of had that mysterious aura where I was kind of like, is he just kind of like a gruff, like commander, like gets things done, but this is like, he is, but like he's a good person overall like he's a he tries to be himself when he's around the other people but he still knows how to hold command type of thing and this book i feel like he's where he belongs he was completely wasted as a sergeant oh yeah 100 percent. yeah let's see the last scene the mib in her dream world again is about to fall into the abyss and then an undead dragon carries her away to safety yep I, I didn't really have much to say on that except she hated it. Like I feel like initially she was like, Yes, I'm saved, but then it was like immediately like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Which is anytime we read her, I'm just it's always kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. I did also just realize Whiskey Jack says something in the first scene. Another thing that I strongly disagree with is that he's like, Your enemy is death. Lady, we're both too old to fear death. And I'm like, uh, no, she's like in her 20s. She's not old. No. That was Whiskey Jack's blunder. 
he he doesn't i think his weakness is he doesn't know how to talk with women <laughs> well unless it's soldiers unless it's soldiers yeah under his command. unless it's soldier yeah soldiers under his command specifically because corlette is also a soldier but he can't figure out how to talk to her poor guy yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts on my but i don't really it's just still real depressing yeah well, i think that's it for this week then this reading unless you have anything else no i don't think so uh we will be back next week with the start of book three capistan woohoo so we'll be doing chapters 14 and 15 next week and then 16 17 okay the week after that i feel like some of these books are gonna get longer and longer to read it takes yeah. a lot more time yep we'll see though well there's a chapter near the end of this book that's long and that might be a that might be the only chapter we do for that episode we'll see okay well, i look forward to it yeah uh so anyways i think that's it so how was that todd